of England. Indeed, he would argue that London is the great modernizing force in English society. Take just the basic business of feeding these people. London had to be fed. That required more efficient agriculture in the countryside. This would lead to experiments with better fertilizers and more efficient crop rotation, more fen drainage, and the clearing of forests. In order to get this food to London, there were going to have to be more ships for the coastal trade in fish and in coal from Newcastle, more robust wagons, better roads, the dredging of rivers, a better infrastructure for trade and travel. In order to keep London fed, there was going to have to be better and more flexible credit facilities and communications so that participants along this distribution system could ship and purchase goods more easily and reliably. But even more important, the size and vitality of London must have had a profound social, cultural, and psychological effect on all those immigrants, all those people who are coming there. I'd like you to imagine a young man or a woman, perhaps the grandchild of our woman from Lecture 20, who grew up in a tightly knit village of 300, coming to London for the first time. In that village, life was quiet. It was lived on a human scale. Everyone knew everyone else. Everyone shared the same calendar and traditions. Everyone did pretty much what their parents had done, their lives fully mapped out from cradle to grave. Now, imagine arriving in London for the first time. Imagine that you are accosted by more people, more unfamiliar sights, sounds, smells, than you could experience in a lifetime back home. According to Thomas Decker, writing in 1606, in every street, carts and coaches make such a thundering as if the world ran upon wheels. At every corner, men, women, and children meet in such shoals that posts are set up of purpose to strengthen the houses, lest with jostling one another they should shoulder them down. Besides, hammers are beating in one place, tubs hooping in another, pots clinking in a third, water tankards running at tilt in a fourth. Your own values and traditions would be under assault, as would be your senses, for in this town there is, in a sense, no such thing as everyone. Everyone doesn't ever do the same thing. These people, remember, came like yourself from every part of England, maybe even from Europe and the Americas. They bring different customs, accents, even different religious beliefs from yours, which will soon perhaps begin to seem yours irrelevant. Your life would become more rational and practical, less natural or traditional. Remember that in the village, your time is measured by the sun and the seasons, spring for planting, autumn for harvesting. Now it's parsed out by your master's watch. You move about the city, forming and breaking more social relationships more quickly than in your home parish. You forget your old country customs in the process. Now in part, you're forming and breaking these relationships because people are dying much more frequently than they are at home which means that your personal cast of characters is changing constantly. Another reason for this constant change is that you're probably forming and breaking economic relationships more quickly and more rationally. Remember that in the village, you probably worked for a landlord that your grandfather worked for, at least that landlord's family. These relationships aren't just based on money, they're based on tradition, they're based on personal connection. But here in the city, if another master offers you a better wage, what are you going to do? You're going to take it, and you're going to break the previous relationship. London was growing too fast for the parish structure to keep up. 
So there's no church warden, there's no parish priest looking out after you or watching your behavior. All of this might lead you to feel lonely, an absence of neighborliness, a sense of not belonging or not mattering. But if you found village life too dull or too constraining, if you resented the lack of privacy, the constant prying of your neighbors into your business, the threat of a skimmington, then this newfound freedom must have been exhilarating. In short, according to Wrigley's theory, London is the great modern influence on English life. Let's get a bit closer. Let's join our villager on the streets of London. Let us walk these streets and see if we can get a sense of that modernizing influence. London was really two cities. London within the walls to the east and Westminster to the west joined by the River Thames. The river was the reason for London's existence in the first place and for its growth and prosperity. London was